Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clearpath Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned and thanks for joining. today you know I don't know if this is just our church or if it's just all the disappointed Cowboys fans but I got no invites to any Super Bowl parties and I it occurred to me that no one cares <laughs> um, you guys having a good day I uh, I want to just give an acknowledgement of some people real quick. If you are if you are slated to help lead a house church, stand up real quick. Give these guys a hand. Give these guys a hand. Um, thank you. Uh, we we have three we have three different groups that are going to be starting on. It will be the last week. I need to make sure that I've got the date right. It'll be the last week of February, um, the first week of March, so the week of the 26th is um, the day we will start. That's that's in connection with with Lent. And if if the word Lent scares you, uh, let me help you not be scared by it. Um, we we use that time um, leading up to Easter to tell the key stories of Jesus. And that, um, for, you know, probably at least 1,500 years, probably longer, the, the church has used these the, key stories of Jesus to lead up to the story of his death and resurrection. And, and for us as a church, pragmatically and spiritually, it allows us, both in our kids' church and in our house church and, in our, and, and as we gather, to kind of recenter ourselves on the sort of key foundational, you know, stories of Jesus every year and just tell those stories. And so that's why we do it. Um, we will kind of launch house churches around those time. Um, we have one group that's in Garland. We have uh, one group that's going to be blending between Dallas and, and Forney or Dallas and Sunnyvale. And so if you're in Dallas or if you're, there's, I know there's a few, uh, forney people here. Um, th- that will be a group that will kind of be like moving between Dallas and Sunnyvale, and then we have one group in Rowlett, which the 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 Sipes will be hosting. And we do have text signups that will be available. Um, I'll try to make sure Andrea comes in before the end. She's served in the nursery a few weeks in a row now, um, and make sure that she clarifies. Oh, there it is! Look at that. She set it up for me. Um, house church sign up at the QR code. So if you have interest in signing up, 
you know, everybody should have interest in signing up. We want you to know about it. You can click on, you can go just put your phone over the QR code. If you don't know how to do that, you might be like me, technologically challenged, then come talk to us. We will help you do signups for that. Um, I believe that for, just to give you an idea of times, the group in Garland and the group in the Dallas Sunnyvale group will be meeting on Thursday nights and the group in Rowlett will be meeting on Wednesday nights. And so we would like to know if either of those times don't work for you. Um, oh, look at that. Um, if, if either of those times do not work for you, um, please let us know. We would just like to have that information available to us. I don't know that we'll be able to facilitate anything. Um, you know, uh, immediately, but we would love to know if if those nights are prohibitive to you. So, amen. I'm excited for this. That will lead us from into Easter and all the way to Pentecost, and we'll meet for three months. Um, how many of you love just times of community? Amen. I have a little bit of a teaser for next week's sermon for you. I plan on talking about plan on talking about sin next week, and I, I know you are all excited about this, um, but I felt like when we were doing this time of kind of fasting and prayer, I felt like the Lord really highlighted the subject to me, and um, the goal will not be to shame or guilt trip anybody away, but will be to help us have a deeper understanding and awareness of like how God sees sin and, and like what that means for us as Christians. And so get excited about a message about sin. It's lots of fun. Um, I have been, I have been praying about it for a few weeks and felt the Lord put, like I was considering talking about this week and I felt the Lord say, no, I want you to talk about it next week before we come into Lent. And so, yes. Um, how many of you like have really enjoyed this time of prayer and seeking the Lord? Like, it's been such a blessing. Like, Friday nights, Wednesdays, like, just getting texts. Like, I don't feel like I go, like, two days without getting a text or somebody that's telling me, like, they've been praying for me or they've been praying for our church or they've just been praying and seeking the Lord a lot more. And that's just really, I don't know, it's just really encouraging. And when I recently, as I've gotten the opportunity to talk I have felt more compelled to sort of name what God is doing more than teaching. And so I'm going to do some more of that today. Um, there is some teaching, but like it's, I've been more compelled by just like as I pray about what are you doing to just to keep naming what it is that God doing or keep calling to attention. And when we look at the epistles that Paul has written and Peter and John, and we look at like the book of Acts, uh, the, uh, something that is greatly emphasized is the church and these leaders went through much deliberation and talk about what it was that God was doing in their communities. And I want us to understand that while we need to submit ourselves to the, to the teaching, the counsel of Scripture, and the way of what it teaches us about God and His character and His nature, an enormous part of our life in Christ is to actually like submit ourselves to this, the deliberation or the discussion or the discernment 
of what it is God is doing in a moment, in a season with a person or with a group of people. How many of you ever, like the Lord has had you praying over some kind of season, some kind of, you know, and so I'm going to do a little bit more of that today because I think that it's like a significant part and a critical part of our life as as a church and our life as individuals before God. It's like sensing, hearing, learning, knowing what God is doing in a moment, not just kind of knowing fundamentally what is true. Both of these things are found in Scripture, but it's important for us to see that, you know, that this is, this is a lot of our life in God and church is sort of having a sense of what he's doing, not just generally, but in a moment. I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll turn to Matthew 4 in a minute. But what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says is, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is one time where I think the I like the NKJV, but like the other translations, ESV, NIV, NASB say here, which is your spiritual act of worship. And so if you want to know, like, what is your worship? I love to sing. I love to dance. I will get on my knees. And if so compelled, I will sing to you publicly. But, but, um, but at the end of the day, like, our spiritual worship is actually presenting our lives as a living sacrifice. Verse 2. I'm not going to teach you this whole thing, but I want to bring this up really quickly. Do not be conformed but to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Um, so here's what the scripture says. It says that we lay our lives down as a sacrifice, that in doing that, we do not conform to the pattern of this world. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that in life, as we do that process, as we run that process with the Lord, we might be able to prove what is the will of God, good, acceptable, and perfect will. And I just want to talk about these for a moment because there are times in my life where God is teaching me more on what is good and acceptable. Like, you know, my daughter last night put toothpaste in my son's hair, and we woke up this morning to toothpaste covering her, our, our, uh, the, her, the bed, and the reason given was that she wanted, to, she wanted to do the shaving cream or the prank on him, but she didn't want to walk into our room and wake us up, so she just decided to cover his hand in toothpaste and let him rub her hair. You know, like the prank where you put, tooth, you put the shaving cream in somebody's hand and they, they cover it? Well, he just woke up with a head full of covered in toothpaste. And we explained to her that this is not acceptable. Like, <laughs> this is neither good nor acceptable. And, and there is an enormous amount of our life in the Lord where we are learning. <laughs> you can't put toothpaste in people's hair. Um, are you with me, though? There are things that are unacceptable, and there are things that are acceptable. Part of the renewal of our mind is that in, like, in culture, and this isn't uniquely true. Let me just tell you, like, like, this isn't uniquely true now. I think one of the things that people think is, oh, our culture's, you know, it's just so evil, and 30 years ago it was so good. The, our culture 
always, always will have a different definition of what is acceptable, what is good, what is beautiful. That's just, that's always going to be true. There's always going to be overlapping things and contradictory things to the way that we view morality, goodness, acceptability. But in our culture, there are things that are more subtle, that are less obvious, that, that aren't acceptable, that in the process of not conforming to the pattern of the world and being renewed in our mind, that we discover and learn and prove that these things aren't acceptable. Everybody with me? I don't want to like beat that one to death because I think we're there. The other thing that the Lord teaches you to do in the process of the renewal of your mind is, is he teaches you to be able to prove what is good. And I think this is different even than what is, like there is what is acceptable and then there is what is good. So a number of years ago in our church, we decided that we wanted to take people to the Lord's Supper. We wanted to take people to communion. We wanted to take people to the Eucharist on a weekly basis. Because Scripture says, like, that do this often. Jesus gives us this table as the one thing to do in remembrance and proclamation of who he is. And so we felt that the Lord was, te- was teaching and showing us a community, as a community to discern that it's good to come to this table and to remember and co- proclaim the death and resurrection of Christ. Amen? It's not unacceptable. I don't know that I would go so far as to say it is unacceptable to not have the table every week. Like, that might be a bit aggressive, but I think that it's good that it's present. Does, that, does this make sense? So there's category, I hate using the word category because that's not really, I think, the right way to think about it. But there are things that are acceptable, there are things that are good. And then finally, there are things that are perfect. And I think, when I think of this, the way I examine this is not necessarily... Um, like, only God can execute his will perfectly. Like, I can't execute on God's will perfectly. But there are times in our life, and there comes to a point of maturity, where God leads us down very specific paths. He leads us in ways that where things align perfectly. Like, it's not just that you're doing something good. It's not just that you're doing something acceptable. It's that you're doing something in, in this sort of perfect timing. So, like, when we felt led to go into a fast as a a community and pray, there are years that we fasted. There are years that we prayed, and they they were good things. It's, it's It's always good to fast and pray. Maybe not always, but it's usually good to fast and pray. It's a good thing. Everybody agree with me? Fasting and prayer. But we felt like the Lord was not just leading us into a good thing, but into a perfect thing for the timing of where our body was at. Does that, does that make sense to like understand the difference between those two things? It was, and I just like over the last few months, more than, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating about this, like it's, it's easy to say a superlative word and assume exaggeration, but over the last, I would say, four months, I've sensed more of his perfect leading than I've ever sensed in my life. It's just like, I feel like a day doesn't go by that I don't see something that is miraculous, you know? It's like, and I'm not talking about it's always a healing. It has been healing sometimes, but it's just like something like clear of God leading happens 
happens like just on a daily basis right now. And so it's just like I've sensed him leading in this sort of perfect way. And I want to highlight how I believe he's leading our community. Um, how many of you were here? I, I keep bring, coming back to this. When we had Julian Adams prophesy, he, he gave a word over our church. He said he returned to first love. And he said, I, I feel like this is yours, that the Lord's going to lead you guys into mercy and miracles, into mercy and miracles. And, and what he meant by mercy and miracles was the second thing is fairly obvious, that God was going to work in ways that were supernatural, whether it was healing, whether it was him leading us. It was going to be work in ways that are undeniably him. But mercy, <clears throat> what, what he meant by that, was that God was going to lead in our lead our community into a greater compassion for the least of these, for the hurting, for the lost, for the dying, the broken, the poor, the stranger, the orphan, the widow, like just cover the, you know, cover all those words. And and so at the beginning of the fast, as we started praying, we asked the Lord God, we need you to show us perfect steps, not just acceptable and good. We need you to show us clear steps to lead our community into greater compassion, into greater mercy. And the way I would say that this has happened for us over the years is that we've done different good things. We've, we've had the opportunity to serve people in lots of different good and acceptable ways. Like there's been lots of times that, God has, has allowed us to encourage people, to uplift people, to cover people, to pay for bills when there was no money left. And, like, and there have been actually some many wonderful things. But I haven't felt as though our community had that sort of perfectly like integrated alignment towards the way he wanted to work in compassion. And, I, and so we started praying very consistently at the beginning of the year, that God would, he would lead us into something that wasn't just acceptable and good, but was like a perfect fit for our community walking into greater compassion for the least of these. How many of you want that in your life? And I've seen like many people here demonstrate that countless ways in their own life, countless ways. It's like it blows my mind all the time. But I, we felt pretty strongly that the Lord wanted to lead us in that as a community. And it's not something, I, if I were to admit to myself, like what are the things that I wish more of, that I pray more of, I, I wish it was more well integrated in our community. And I, and I don't think it has been overly, overwhelmingly well integrated. And I'm praying that God will make it more so. And, and so I we, we started praying about that every single day. And the Lord began to remind me, not the, so there's, there are the least of these, but then also there are people, another major thing that God is doing is just people that are different from you. People that come from different culture, they come from different background, they've, they grow up different. And so the Lord started reminding me at the beginning of our prayer time of, of my own call to when I was a kid as a missionary and how one of the things that we've never really talked about this, but one of the things that is striking about many people here, many of the leaders here, as many of them felt the first sort of call to ministry through the, through the idea or understanding of being a missionary. And 
I, I've shared the story, but when I, was, when I was 13 years old, they had this altar call. If you felt called to full-time missions, you know, we want you to respond. And I stood up as a sixth grader and started violently shaking and weeping. Not like little tremble, but like not something that a sixth grader could contrive. And, and so I was driving around. Eden, she had her uh, drama that was in Garland. And her drama is actually in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And so I was driving around South Garland. The, most, the best thing about, about growing up in South Garland is you have better tacos than if you grew up in Rockwall. And, um, you, you know, and so, like, I was just driving around through um, the, the Hispanic neighborhoods. And I was, like, looking. I was, like, man, like, there's a lot of good happening here. There was just, like, re new restaurants and new things happening. And I was just kind of like, man, this is awesome. Like, this is really cool. And the Lord started to remind me. He was like, man, I've, I've called you to go to people that didn't grow up like you or look like you or, or, or speak, speak like you. And I felt, I'm sitting there driving around Garland, and I'm like, the Lord's, like, giving me a heart for this community. He's like, oh, like, I want you to serve this community. I'm like, okay, God, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. And so I'm driving, just, just having that experience. And, and so every day I start praying, we, we're praying, and I'm like, Lord, what do you want to do? How do you want us to serve the least of these? How do you want us to serve those different than us? And several incredible things happen. But one of the things that happened is my friend who I met at Bible college, which I dropped out of promptly three semesters afterwards because I didn't finish my studies. But I, I met the very first moment of school. We had a ch school chapel and we were praying in the altar and we were praying the same things. And God made us friends for life kind of thing. And so as a church, um, the guy I'm talking about is named Daniel Winkowich. And he... He grew up in Montana, farming on thousands of acres. The kids, like, I've told stories about him, but he's just wired differently than most people. You know, people talk about being country, but Daniel's, like, really, really country. You know, like, he, I mean, he just, uh, when you grow up, like, like uh, in a house where it's negative 70 in your area for a couple weeks on end, and they, and they heat the heat the living room with a wood-burning cook stove, and all the family comes and cuddles in there when it gets extra cold. I mean, that's just a different kind of stuff that we don't have to deal with in Texas. And, and so anyway, but Daniel was called as a missionary, and so as a church, we've supported Daniel from the beginning of this church. We, we've supported him. He's been in Vietnam. He's been at a prayer house in California serving a Vietnamese church. He's been like working a Native American reservation in Montana, serving church plants in Montana. He's really been all over the world and just like the Lord just always led him. Well, right as we start praying about missions, about compassion, about mercy, Daniel calls me and he says, Jordan, you know, he's like very aggressive talker, but like sweet. And he's like, the Lord told me to move to Dallas. He said, can I come help your church? We feel like the Lord told us we need to move to Dallas and we need to come and just come to your church and serve in your community. I was like, yes, the timing of this is very unusual. And so, like, I, um, I just, I just, all, like, all these little things that, hap that happen. Actually, it's interesting, Lauren, that you're here this morning. Um, 
Lauren is friends with Josh and Danny. You're also our friend too. I can't, I can't, I can't say it that way. But I was, uh, I've, I shared with you guys the story that at the beginning of the year we felt like the Lord, um, I, it was in our heart to get to connect with and get prayed over by Heidi Baker. And so I was like looking through, I shared the story a couple weeks ago. I was looking through schedules, trying to figure out how could I get her. And I found out that she doesn't publish her high tenor in any way. And so I look up frustrated from that and do what? She does. Anyway, I look up and I'm like, give up. And Lauren is standing in front of me who worked with Briris for, I mean, like you kind of still work for like with, but, but worked under them for, I don't know, a decade. Is that yeah, but like I look up and I'm like, oh my gosh, what the, what the heck? Like the, <laughs> this is weird. Like I literally look up and this person sitting in front of me, and so I text my buddy who runs their ministry, and I, I don't want to belabor the story, but we, he, um, like what happened at the end of our time of prayer and fasting was the Lord opened a connection for us to go meet, meet Heidi, which we did this last Sunday, and when we sat down with her. We had, we had said, listen, we just want five minutes. Just give us five minutes of prayer. We just, that's what we want. Well, she ended up spending like half an hour of time with us and said, we want you to, you know, want you to come on a trip with us. We want to spend some more time with you. We want to, we want to uh, um, connect with you. And so God just opened. It's like he keeps opening the same kind of doors and he's showing me something. He's showing us as a community something that he's calling us to lean into. And so as we were praying about all these different little things, what the Lord spoke to me, and I told my wife this, I told Zane this, and I told a couple other people, I said, I feel like we're supposed to go on a journey of learning how we operate in mercy and compassion and in serving the outsiders community. Like, we don't need to come here and like cast a vision of all the things we figured out. We need to go on a journey of learning it. And so the Lord's like, I want you to go on a two-year journey of learning. And when, when, we, when we spent some time with, with Heidi, what God opened up was for us to have an opportunity to learn from their ministry and what they're doing. And I want to just stop and make a plug for this real quick. I mean, I'm going somewhere with all this, so you'll, you'll see that at the end. We are, there's a couple, our staff, we've been giving our staff this book, and we've given a couple people this book. We are reading Heidi's book, which is called There's Always Enough. And I want to encourage you, if you want to go on a learning journey with us, we're reading this book. It's their story of how God led them um, into ministry in Mozambique to serve the least of these and all the amazing miracles we cry every chapter because it's, it's incredible. And so I really strongly encourage you, if you want to go on the learning journey with us, check this book out. There's several different books that are like similar name, but just take a look at this one. It's called There's Always Enough. I think there is one that's called Always Enough, which is, I don't know why they released a second one that's similar, but, but it, this is the one we're reading. There is always enough. And so, um, yes. We, we felt the Lord um, tell us that we're supposed to go on a learning journey. So I'm going to pause that thought, and I want, to, I want to open up in Scripture and talk to you for a moment about what it means to be a learner. Um, Matthew 4, 
18 through 22 is one of the most humorous texts in the New Testament. I want you to hear this with me. Starting in verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat of Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I don't know what compels people to just drop everything they're doing and start following people, but that's what these people do in this passage. But I want, I want you to see, this is a really important thing for us to see in this, is that there isn't a conversion experience here the way we understand conversion. There isn't a moment here where they're saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Lord, you're all these things, come into my life, like I'm ready now. That, that actually happens later when Peter, when Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, he, he confesses him as a Messiah. The, before they saw him as Lord or Savior or Master of the universe or anything, they saw him as rabbi. Before they saw him as, I want to see this, before they saw him as Lord, they saw him as rabbi. And I believe that God wants to be a teacher to us. And he wants us to be a student under him. Like he doesn't just want to be your God, he wants to be your rabbi. And a lot of times the way that we've related to God because of our modern context is that we relate to him in a static relationship, not a dynamic one. Like like that, what I mean by that is that we think of our standing with God as a status. Are we in the family? Are we out? Is the, you know, are we covered? Are we not? And there's some of that that's helpful to understand. But what God is what God was, what Jesus was calling the disciples into was not just a static understanding, but a dynamic moving one in which they would have to leave what they were doing and go with him and follow him and learn. Are you with me? Redemption and, and relationship is not a static work, but an ongoing work. And following meant, following meant moving with him and As we follow him, we learn about who we are and the life that we're called to live. And we have to shed a focus on this status, static, orientated view of redemption and our relationship with God. Because his first revelation to his followers is not as the Savior on the cross forgiving their sins. It's as the rabbi coming to teach them who he is and how they're called to live. Does this make sense? So like the the story of Jesus doesn't begin with the salvific message and the, the annunciation of his ministry doesn't begin with, the, with them being, with all the things we think of being made whole. The story begins with men leaving an occupation of what they were doing so they can come with him and learn his ways. 
And we and I just feel like that God wants to take us on a journey. Like there is a confession of faith in Christ, but there's also a faith in Christ that's seen as we follow him and we learn on the journey. And somewhere else along the way, sometimes we think that we're done learning. And I just want to tell you this morning, the Lord wants to be your rabbi. He wants to be your teacher. He wants you to not assume that you have it figured out. He wants you to, to come on, come with me, come learn with me. Everybody with me? All right, so I'm going to read another scripture, which, oh my gosh, it pains me to read this because this, this, this is just not one, but, it, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to put it in here. And it's 1 Corinthians 11, 1. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That could seem very self-aggrandizing for me to read as a pastor. Um, but this is what he says. This is Paul speaking to the people that he's shepherding. He says, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I, I want to unpack that for just, just a moment. When, when Paul speaks of imitating Christ, um, there are there are various ways in which that, which that is applicable. First of all, Paul imitates Christ in that he is an embodiment of what is timelessly true. He teaches and demonstrates on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Amen? Like he's, he's about these things that are integrated into the character of, of Christ, but the other way in which Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, is that Paul also demonstrates a following of Christ in a way that he dynamically is following the Spirit's leading. Like Jesus, Jesus didn't just embody a great morality. Jesus demonstrated what it meant to be led by the Spirit. Like, look at this with Paul. Paul in the book of Acts, is on a, he is on a boat, and they are heading because he's in chains, and Acts tells us that God's will is that he is going to go testify to Caesar, and as they have, they have, uh, they've come and they've docked, I believe it's at Crete, that they're going to keep going, he says, this journey is not going to go well, we need to wait, we don't need to get on this journey, and it says that the master of the ship listened to the helmsman, not to Paul. They go, and you know the story. A big wind comes, and they're getting near the island of Malta. And, and then they're like, okay, they start praying. They start listening to Paul because they were like, okay, he was right. And, and, he, and men are about to jump off the boat. They're throwing things off the boat. And Paul says, hold on, everybody. No one jump off the boat, and you will live. And so, every, so everyone listens. The boat crashes in Malta, and Paul ends up testifying about the gospel in Malta. Um, but, but I want you to see that this story is in here because going on a ship from Crete to Malta isn't something that is in the vein of acceptable or unacceptable or good or bad. Like there isn't a moral, there's no moral issue here that the captain's like, well, we're just going to sail on the ship. 
the way that Paul's faith is demonstrated is not by the expression of timeless morality, but on his willingness to listen to the Spirit and obey. Do, do you see the difference here? And that like, yes, it is important for us to imitate Christ in the way that he expresses the character of God, but it's also important that we imitate those who are following Christ in the way that he dynamically leads us from moment to moment by the Spirit's leading. And so the, the like other things that Paul does is that he comes into churches and he tells them, you guys are dealing with this issue, and yet this thing's going really well in your church. And he's naming things that are happening. He's naming things that are not just acceptable and good, but things that are perfect and timely. And, and God is always trying to do both of these things, but, but we, he is continually trying to lead us to be led by the Spirit. And I feel very strongly, and it's why I'm talking to you this morning, that God is taking our community on a spirit journey. He is taking us on a journey where His focus is for us to learn what it looks like to operate in mercy and miracles, for us to learn what it looks like to carry the gospel to the hurting, to the least of these, to the widow, to those who we don't know who are different than us. And if we're willing to do it, I believe that He will, we, he will take us on this journey. I want to try to delineate. I'm not teaching you something. This is biblical. All of these things are good and acceptable. What I'm talking about is something that God wants to do in our community right now. Like this is, a, like there's a now time and there's many things that are indicating that there's a now time. And so I want to admit to you, like, a few different ways whenever I have sensed as a leader that God's doing something. And I want to, sh I, the, I want to sh tell you three ways that I've like done that. The and they haven't always been successful. So the, the first, the first way that uh, as a leader, whenever I've sensed that God was leading us into that I've led is that I have tried to decisively and con confidently lead people towards something that I wasn't really integrated into my life, um, you know, with a high degree of confidence that I know where we're going. And this has mostly failed. Like, if I've, if I've ever tried to, like, um, maybe sensed rightly something the Lord was doing, but then, like, you know, confident. It was like, all right, this is exactly how it's going to play out. It's going to do this. This, All these things are going to happen. That has just generally backfired on me. Like, if something is not integrated yet in my life, which I don't believe, like, like the Lord has given me a heart for the hurting, and He's given me opportunity to minister to the hurting, but like, this isn't my day-to-day. -day. So I can't stand up here and say, all right, here's how we're going to do it, guys, because I haven't been there. Does that make sense? That's way one, bad way. The second thing is that there are seasons, there are things in my life, and there's been moments that things actually are well integrated into my life. And I point, and like the Lord uses me or others to point us towards something based on something that there is actually fruit bearing in our life. Like, 
I haven't been perfect in my seeking of the Lord in prayer and the word, but it's something that's been well integrated in my life for a long time and more intensely over the last few months. And so when we called our community at the beginning of this year to start seeking the Lord in prayer and in the word and in fasting, it wasn't something that I wasn't already like living in on some level of day to day. Does this make sense? And so like I was, I wasn't um, calling us to do something that I had not, that I, I'm not saying I'm the master, but I wasn't calling us to do something that wasn't integrated in my life. I was calling us as a community to lean more into something that God had brought fruit in my life through. So that's way two. Way one, bad. Way two is good. But I'll tell you, actually, I think the third way that is best for me that works like that I've found the most fruit in is I don't know where I'm going. I, don't, I have a sense of where God is taking us. I don't have mastery of what it looks like to have compassion and mercy and all these things to do that on a daily basis. But I want to go on a learning journey. And I don't want to go on a learning journey alone. I want to do it with people. That's the best way that I know to lead, is to come to you humbly and say, I don't have mastery of this. But if we go on a journey as a community and learn, do you know how much better it will be if I go on a journey the next two years by myself and try to figure it out? Do you know how much better, more enjoyable, much richer our wisdom, more fruitful, more powerful the ministry will be if we decide as a community we're going to go on a journey to learn together? So I'm not like, I'm not speaking a vision of like, Here's, I know where, it's, where we're going and here, we're going to get there. I know that God is calling us to walk in mercy and compassion. I want to learn, and I want you to come on a learning journey with me. I don't know if that resonates with you, but that's, that's what resonates in my heart. Like a simple way that you could join us is just like I didn't... I wasn't reading this book nine days ago. I'm, I'm reading this book now. Like, I'm not, this isn't planned out at the beginning of the year. We're going to have the Heidi Baker book on February whatever. This is like a now thing that the Lord put in our heart. And if you want to go on a journey, this is one thing. It's not the only thing, but it's one thing you can do to go on the journey with us. Does this make sense? There's two things. I'm going to summarize it like Paul would do at the end of a letter. There are two things that I feel like that God is trying to teach our community right now. Two simple things. And I'm just going to keep naming them. He's trying to teach us how to seek his face in prayer and in the scripture. He's trying to teach us how to seek his face. He wants us to go on the journey. And he's trying to teach us how do we love those that need his compassion, that need his mercy, that we can walk in this in, in, in care for the least of these. I really believe like God is on these two things and he's inviting us to go on a journey and learn. And I'm saying to you, come with me. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm going on the same journey. You know, it's like Star Trek, you know, next, you know, next generation, like, like, um, you know, to, crap, I totally forgot the line of that. Anyway, 
you get the point. They go on a journey to go discover new places. Um, we, we are, we as a community can go on a journey. Um, I, I want to finish with this one thought of why, why don't we just, I want to like put this question out there and I want to let scripture address this of like, why don't we just pick a goal or something to do and just do it and like, you know, just make that our five-year goal. Like, we'll go to, you know, the soup kitchen or whatever it is. Why don't we just pick something and do it? I, I want to talk about this for a moment. Um, before I read the scripture, I want to talk to you about decision decision framework in business. I know this is a really random tangent, but I'm going to talk to you about decisioning frameworks. I actually have a very dear friend who's on the board of a of a nonprofit that helps teach kids decisioning frameworks, how they can like sort through life and consider something and make a good decision. And so my dad right now is advising Christ for the Nations in various capacities of their of what they do in their ministry, and he's helping them set goals in some departments, and in some departments, there aren't measurable goals. And my dad and I have had this really long discussion about when is it appropriate to set a kind of a long-term goal, and when are goals not really accessible for the way that we understand things. I know this is like a hard left turn, but just go with me for a second. Um, and I had this conversation with my dad that early in his business, if you don't know, my dad been successful in business. And uh, he, uh, early in his business, almost everything that worked out were just things that God showed him in prayer. It was just like, I'm making this decision. I'm moving one step in front of the other. And the Lord just revealed this path to me. And, but in the business world, a lot of times we think about in from the beginning thinking. We think about goal setting and how all those things work. At the very end of his business, when it was very clear what we were doing and the product that we were offering to customers, we, we did set goals because the, the, business, the business model was so clear. And... I want to make this point that he would have never gotten to the end point where he could set a goal if he didn't just go on a journey and start learning at the beginning with open hand. And sometimes we have this false notion in our modern culture that if we just set a goal and go for it, that that will, that that will be the way that we, that we accomplish. And I'm going to read to you a very, this is, this is some, uh, this is some big words that he uses here, but I'm going to read to you a little note from a business book because we've been having this discussion in our business, like when is goal setting good and when is just kind of going with the flow and experimenting good. And how many of you have ever heard of this term, black swan, a black swan event? Raise your hand if you've heard of it. Okay, so I'm just trying to get an idea. In, in markets, in business, a black swan event is something that you didn't expect that could negatively affect the course of trajectory that you were on. Like, in every economic crisis that we've had, we've had things that happen that were, like, obvious that we didn't expect to happen. And so those are those would be called, that's, 
those would be called black swan events. And the guy who was extremely, extremely successful Wall Street banker who wrote the, the Black Swan, he wrote the, uh, not the movie, but the, but the, cons, the business book, um, he, he articulated this idea before it had ever been articulated. And I want to read to you a quote from his book, and then I'll explain the quote. He says, it is in complex systems, ones in which we have little visibility of the chains of consequence, cause consequences, that t- tinkering, bricolage, or similar variations of trial and error have been shown to vastly outperform the teleological, its modus operandi. Okay, that's like all a bunch of big words. Let me tell you what he's saying. What he's saying is that in situations where where it's not just very simple, if you try to do end from the beginning thinking, you almost certainly fail more quickly than if you just experiment and start learning. Like this is a financial... This is a guy who has decades of financial analysis. He's saying that even in that department, we have this belief in our culture that if we just set a five-year goal and run towards it, that that's going to be the thing that brings life. But we almost always miss the learning with our assumptions. Does this make sense? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this in Scripture. Matthew 16, talking business and, and Jesus for a moment. Matthew 16, 21 through 23, I'll show you where Peter, he was in from the beginning thinking, and he wasn't able to see what God was doing in the moment. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and the elders and the chief prides and scribes, and to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and said, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. I want you to see this. Peter had an assumption of where this ministry was going, and it blinded him from seeing what God was doing right in the moment. He had an assumption about where things were going, and his heart was like, Lord, you're not going to get killed. We're going we're gonna to faith on right through that. <laughs> we're going to pray on right through that, and we're going we're gonna to bypass that. But because he was, had an assumption about where things were going, it blinded to him to where God was leading in the present. And in order for us to actually learn how to love, we will have to just start with one step and learn. One step and learn. So I'm inviting you to go on a learning journey with me. My, my favorite quote from a movie the last few years is, is from Frozen 2 when Anna says, when you don't know what to do, you do the next right thing. And... <laughs> I uh, I feel like that God's calling us to learn. He's not calling us to set a five-year goal of all the people we're going to save and all the people we're going to feed, all the people we're going to adopt, all the 
He's not calling us to do that. He's calling us to be humble. He's calling us to go low. He's calling us to learn. And I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it with my people. Amen? So I don't really know where to park this bus. This is like a, this plane is flying all over. Um, But um, if you feel compelled to go on a journey to learn with me how to love, Gosh, I've been doing this recently. These like, these like, everybody has to respond to this call. No, I, I. Uh, if you feel that the the spirit is calling you to go on a journey, of how we love, like, I want you to stand with me, even if it's everybody, it's fine. You don't have to stand, but I just want you to stand with me. And I want us just to pray. I want us to open our hands. And I want us just pray that God will make us humble. just want us to pray that the Lord would help us to learn how to love. And there are some people in this room that I look around who know who are further on this journey than me. That's okay. We're going to learn to love. And I just <clears throat> I just want to invite you from right where you're at just just pray. Just pray a prayer. You can pray it out loud so that all of us hear it. If you want the Lord to help you, teach you how to love, I just want you to offer him a prayer right now. We're praying that God will show us how to love. He will show us how to care for the hurting. He will show us how to care. I'm going to wait for a minute. Wait for a minute, Lord, more of your compassion. Just fill us right now. Fill us right now with your love, Lord. Fill us with your love right now. Let us see with heaven's eyes. God, I pray that you would show us even wisdom as as to how to share the learnings together. God, how to share the journey together. Um, we're praying, Andrew and I have prayed for steps every single day. We've prayed for your obedience every single day. God, we're praying for obedience towards compassion. And we pray for wisdom, how to share this journey, God. Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with your spirit to be bold witnesses for you, God. We ask you to um, just compel us, God, as we go forward. Um, thank you God that you you are you are a great you're not just a great savior a great rabbi a great teacher you're great um, in wisdom and I pray that you would help us to be your students Lord in Jesus name We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening. Oh, no.